Second Thessalonians chapter 3, we're going to look at verses 7 through 10. And the message is entitled, The Christian Work Ethic. And this is part one. We'll get part two next time. We have uh, mentioned that the entire section before us is dealing with the disorderly. Those Christians who walk unbiblically. And it focuses on those who refuse to work for a living in particular here. They were living off other believers and they had become busybodies. He tells us that from verse 6 on down to 15. This is the section. The problem already existed when Paul wrote the first epistle in chapter 4 verse 11 of 1 Thessalonians. And to avoid extremes, Paul exhorted them about the legitimate need of some, as he does in the second letter. He told them in chapter 5, verse 14 of the first letter, that there are some who have legitimate needs. So he gets the balance. And he'll do the same here in verse 13. Now we examine the apostolic proclamation of Paul to not fellowship with certain disorderly believers last time. In verse 6, characterized by the personal command, the preeminence of the command, and the particular command. What we want to do tonight, verse 7 through 10, is look at the apostolic example regarding the work ethic. And it's characterized by three things. Let me read here, verse 7 through 10. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we were not disorderly among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but work with labor and toil night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. Not because we do not have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. The apostolic example regarding the work ethic is characterized by the following. First, the pattern to be followed. Verse 11. I mean, I'm sorry, verse 7. The pattern to be followed. Second, you have the particular to be noted. Verse 8 and 9. And then 10, the principle to be lived out. Let's begin here with the pattern to be followed. Verse 7. Notice the Apostle Paul declared they had given them the example to follow. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us. Paul stated the Thessalonians possess the appropriate information to live out the Christian life. Paul pointed out the reason for them withdrawing from those walking disorderly by the word for here. For gives the reason it's connected to the previous verse. Their conduct was not according to the teaching received by the word traditions. We saw that. So it's not just to blackball people. It's not just to think we're better than other people. He identifies certain group of people and for certain reasons. And they are biblical reasons. Now notice Paul pointed out their accountability to what they possess. The word yourselves being in the beginning of the Greek sentence makes it emphatic yourselves they were accountable here they were obeying and had confidence 
that they would obey those commands that they were going to give. He said that when he began this section in verse 4 and 5. His confidence was, you've been obedient, and we know that you will obey the Lord and the commands we're going to give you. So he's not telling them something because they weren't doing it. In fact, he's telling them because they have been obedient, and he knows he will still they will still obey these commands. As harsh as they may seem, as much criticism as they may receive, but they know it is biblical to do it. And that's what's important. Today, people in the church make decisions by their emotions and by the political correctness of the world and not what the scriptures say. That's the problem with the church. Notice Paul pointed out the potential of their new life. The word no, oida, it means they had seen and perceived by observation, conveying fullness of knowledge. Only a believer can say this is right because you agree with the biblical standard. They have been personally out witnesses to the lives of the apostles and they came to proclaim the gospel and they cared for their spiritual well-being without any concern for themselves or personal gain. He told them that in 1 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 6. Now they witnessed a pattern of life different from others who came proclaiming their philosophies and their doctrines and their different gods to Thessalonica. There was a, a black and white, left and right, a great distinction between them and others. And then notice Paul stated the Thessalonians had great responsibility to live after their Christian example because of the accountability. The word how indicates the manner of life. In this case, the Christian life, the life of being Christ-like. We are not to be pastor-like or other-like, but Christ-like. Not only by their example, but they had been taught the word of God according to the traditions they had received from them, as he said in verse 6. They had the model of them, but the standard and authority was the scriptures. The word out there means necessary with the idea of obligation. We've seen this word often as we've done studies. And sometimes it's translated must. Jesus said you must be born again. Same word. John 3, 7. No opinion. No suggestion. It's a command. Paul used it in the first letter. You ought to walk to please God in 1 Thessalonians 4, 1. The understanding of the obligation to follow Paul, Silas, and Timothy here is only because they were following Christ. So we need to understand that. We follow others because we know they're following Christ. We see their alignment and example as Christ in the scriptures, okay? But we literally are following Christ. But we also run with those who line themselves up with Christ as we are to line ourselves up with Christ. Paul used the word follow, which literally means to mimic someone. Present tense. Paul used the same word in a different form and told the Corinthians, Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. 1 Corinthians 4.16 In 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he gave them the reason. Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. So again, there's the standard. Christ is the supreme model. Men are to reflect that model. And we'll follow and agree with men who follow that model as we should. 
That's important. The problem with too much of the Christian community is they begin to glorify the pastor and worship the pastor, and no longer do they put the pastor to the examination of Scripture. But because he's popular, because he has a big church, because everybody says he's great, whatever he says, they believe, and they do. That's stupid. That's dumb. That's unbiblical. That is why Paul said to the Philippians in Philippians 4, 9, These things, the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Whoa, what a statement. What an incredible statement. Now notice, the Apostle Paul declared their example was according to, to the scriptures. Listen to his words. For we were not disorderly among you. The disorderly he goes back to the previous verse. To the traditions. The teaching the scriptures that he gave. Paul had stated. There were those walking disorderly contrary to the teaching. While still wanting to be recognized as members of the church. But he says we're not one of them. We're disciplined soldiers of Jesus. I'm always amazed at people, and, 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 and I've, I've, I've seen many of them, who want to live in sin, do their thing, and still want you to let them fellowship and recognize them as Christians. You're crazy. Do you not read the Bible? Again, the Christian communion has been watered down. The word we includes the other two missionaries. He uses his all throughout Silas Timothy. And again, the word disorderly is the same words in verse 6, but a different form. The word means irregular or un- insubordinate. Literally, to play truant, we said last week. The word is used of a military soldier marching out of rank or quitting rank. Which is a no-no in the military. You get in big trouble. You've got to be in step. You've got to obey. The ideas of being neglectful of duty. Living an undisciplined life. Again, the varied forms are given to us in verse 6, 11. They're used in 1 Thessalonians 5, 14. I believe he used the word unruly there. The words of the apostles lined up with their lives and vice versa. This is what he's saying here. Now look at 6. Paul, Silas, and Timothy stood in sharp contrast to those in that verse. That's what he's saying. The missionaries had arrived to Thessalonica encountering all its moral and cultural and idolatrous corruption and rejected it. While being men like any other, like the Thessalonians, yet resisting sin and standing firm. They in fact preached that a man could live free of such a lifestyle 
through Christ. They never preached themselves. They never pointed others to themselves. And notice he says they had been in the midst of them. Indicated by the word among you. They were following the model of Christ and his teaching. They were living out their faith in Christ. In the midst of them in the world. But not being of the world. Same thing that has happened to you if you're walking in the spirit. If you're following Christ. God has pulled you out of sin. You're still in the world, but you're not of the world. You haven't isolated yourself or hid yourself away, but you've insulated yourself with the Spirit of God, the Word of God, the mind of Christ, to be a light to the world. That's the important thing. One put it this way. I see you a lot louder than I hear you. (laughs) There's a lot of people that preach Christ, but their lives cancel out their message. Okay? Now, all of us fail. But it shouldn't be a practice. People should hear us as loud as they see us. There will always be those who will um, oppose the Christian faith and lifestyle and offer something in this place. We're to confront them very clearly. Um... Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 1, 3 through 4. As I urge you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables, endless genealogies, which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. There are often people that come into the body here and try to introduce false doctrine. They don't last long. Either you stop them or we do. It's real simple. When you're fed, you can tell a lie. And you have all the authority to stop an individual. If you're one that says, well, let's just love one another. I mean, that's interesting. Let's hear about it. No, let's not hear about it. It's not interesting. It's, 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 it's nauseating. The common response is that Christianity is not the only truth about God. In fact, Christianity is a lie. And that's being espoused a lot today by our nation and by our leaders and by our educators and by our politicians. And encouragement and power is being handed over to the atheists, to the agnostics, to the progresses of the day to be brash and arrogant and attack Christianity publicly on the air on the airwaves in movies in television in magazines in billboards hmm first Timothy 3 14 and 15 says these things I write to you though I hope to come to you shortly but if I am delayed I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. The way you know what is truth is to run it through the Bible to see if it's truth or not. This is the sifter. 
This is your dictionary. The clear warning about people departing from the faith should not be dismissed or missed. 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2 says, Now the Spirit expressly or clearly says, In the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits, doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. You ever get burned with a hot iron? I mean deeply? It leaves a scar. And where that scar is, you lose sensitivity. That's what happens to consciences that are led away from the truth of God. You can't discern what truth and error is any longer. You're just a black hole. You accept anything. The wisdom of the pastor is to follow the instructions of Paul. Listen to 1 Timothy 4, 6-7. Writing to Timothy, the pastor, If you can instruct the brethren in these things, the things he has just said, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of good doctrine, which you have carefully followed, but reject the profane and old wise fables and exercise yourself towards godliness. A faithful pastor. Steadfast, immovable, abounding in the teaching of the word and the work of the Lord. The greatest attack will come from religious people with ulterior motives Evolution is the religion of the United States and the world today. It's a religion. Don't think it isn't. Titus 1, 10 and 11 says, For these, or for there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, meaning the Jews, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole households, teaching things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. The pattern to be followed regarding regarded obedience to the word witnessed by the people. Simple. They heard it, they saw it, they were to follow it. Notice, secondly, you have the particulars to be noted in 8 and 9. The Apostle Paul declared they did not eat without pain. The first part of 8. Listen. Nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge. Paul stated they did not take advantage of the Thessalonians to eat their food. They didn't fleece them. Once again, the plural pronoun we, all three missionaries are included here. Paul was very careful to not speak about himself without including others. That's always important. If you've been coming here for a set amount of time, I always speak in the plural. We here at Calvary Chapel, I don't say I. You call us in the hour, we talk, usually talk about we here at Calvary Chapel. We don't say I. People that are always using the I. When people speak, count the eyes. You might start with President Obama. <laughs> ay, ay, ay. Maybe the Mexicans have something. <laughs> Amazing. 
And he did this for a simple reason, that others also equally represent Christ in the work here. It's not I, myself. It's us, the body of Christ. The tense is the indicative error is active. They did not come to receive, to get their living when they came to evangelize the Thessalonians. That's not what they came for. In fact, they came to give, not to receive. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive, right? Well, Tony just mentioned about Mexico and the trips that we make. We go to give. We don't receive. We don't take an offering. We, we don't send out letters. Hey, we're going to have medical outreach. Uh, would you want to help us? Now, other churches call us and ask us that. Even other Calvaries call us and ask us that. We've never asked any other church in 32 years. Not even other Calvaries. We, we, the church here, lovingly, willingly give where we believe God sends us. You understand? That's what Paul's saying here. Paul stated they were blameless of any charges from anyone. The phrase free of charge means literally of a donation without a cost to themselves. In other words, it cost them something, just the opposite. They didn't come for that donation. They weren't beggars. They were very careful even to receive the offer of food freely due to the false accusations that could result. I am very, very careful to receive anything from anybody. Because people accuse. I don't need anything. Some of you offer me some things sometimes. You give me a Starbucks. I appreciate it. Thank you very, very much. But I'm not here for you to give me presents. I know some of you appreciate me and love me. And, and I thank you very much. But I'm very careful. Because I never want to be accused of anything. Of manipulating you or anything. No way. Absolutely not. This would in turn become an obstacle for the gospel. A stumbling stone. In 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 and 8. It says. They didn't come expecting to be served. Or blessed from them. He says. But we were gentle among you. Just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. So so affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. They were free of any charges against the gospel. In First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10 through 12, he says, You are witnesses. And God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children. That you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Wow. Paul the apostle, before he left Ephesus, he spoke to the Ephesian elders. And he says, here I stand before you. Give testimony against me. 
I did not take your silver or gold. I, I, I was with you night and day. I did this. I did that. If you have anything against me, talk, tell me right now. That's the greatest witness a pastor can ever say. That he's never merchandised his people. He's never used his people. That's the greatest thing you can say. Because God's the one that's done the work. Notice Paul the Apostle declared they worked whenever necessary. Verse 8 says, but worked with labor and toil night and day. He stated they worked hard to provide for their own needs. The word labor denotes a striking and a beating, the idea of labor resulting in weariness. It is used of the widow who wearied the judge to avenge her enemies in Luke 18.5. The word toil describes labor involving powerful effort, hardship, difficulty. The two together emphasize the weariness and the exhaustiveness of this labor. Paul is stating that they worked not only hard, but they worked whenever they could. Night and day doesn't mean literally night and day, but as much and whenever they need it. In the book of Acts, we see that he preached and then he worked. And when he didn't preach, then he worked. But he provided for his own needs. First Thessalonians 2 9 says, For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil for laboring night and day, that we might not be burdened to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God. How great that is. Paul made his living being a tent maker, as you know. In Acts 18, verse 2 and 3, Paul had arrived at Corinth and he met there Achille and Priscilla. Uh, who were from Pontus, and um, they had just been exiled from Rome by Claudius, and they were tent makers, and so was Paul. So they hooked up together, and they were in business together, as the church was being founded and established by the Lord. He wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 4.12, We labor working with our own hands. Every one of the pastors on staff here has worked in the world. Mario used to be a drywaller. Fernando, he designed patterns for machinery and different things. Henry used to work at the Greek theater. I did construction, taught kung fu. I've taught gymnastics, different things. And I can go on and on. Diego used to be a private investigator. We've all worked in the world. When things have to be done right here, we did them often. We still do work around here. It depends on what's priority. If ministry's priority, then we have somebody else come in and do certain things. But we're not afraid of work. <laughs> Work's good. Notice 
the Apostle Paul declared they work so as not to impose on them. That we might not be burdened to any of you. Paul stated they didn't want to be a bother to them. The word burden means to be heavy, a heavy load. It's found three times in the New Testament. The word is used um, the same way in 1 Thessalonians 2.9 that I've read you. Um, the last time for the heavy grief over the sinning brother at Corinth in 2 Corinthians 2.5. The idea being to overwhelm them with caring for their daily needs, their food, their housing, the other necessities. They didn't lay that burden on them. So notice Paul stated they didn't want the gospel to be identified with the financial burden. That was his whole motivation. If others are partakers, he says in 1 Corinthians 9.12, of this right, meaning to be supplied financially over you. Are we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but endure all things lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. 1 Corinthians 9.15 But I have used none of these things, speaking about finances, nor have I written these things that it should be done to me. For it would be better for me to die than that anyone should make my boast void. 1 Corinthians 9.18 What is my reward then? That when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge, that I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. Paul did not want to stumble anybody or to bring false charges against the gospel. Now, on the other hand, notice Paul the Apostle declared they worked in spite of having the right to receive wages. He says, not because we do not have the authority. Notice what he says. Paul made this point clear in his letter to the Thessalonians as well as the Corinthians. In 1 Thessalonians 2.6, listen what he says. He told them, he said, Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. They had the authority. They didn't exercise it. 1 Corinthians 9.13 Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple? Me talking about the priests. And those who serve the altar partake of the offering of the altar? Yes. And then 2 Corinthians 11.9 And when I was present with you and in need, I was a burden to no one. For what I lacked, the brethren who came from Macedonia supplied, and in everything I kept myself from being burdensome to you, and so I will keep myself. He never took money from them those 18 months. Second Corinthians twelve thirteen, he says, For what is it in which you were inferior to other churches, except that I myself was not burdensome to you? Forgive me this wrong. This is the only difference between you and other places. I didn't take money from you. I'm sorry I didn't do that. Wow. How many pastors have here said that? I'm sorry I took your money. I didn't take money from you. <laughs> what a difference. Philippians 4.16, Paul thanked the Philippians for two love offerings they sent him. For even in Thessalonica, you 
You sent aid once and again for my necessities. While he was a Corinth. He had the right. He refused the right. Yet, as he defends it in 1 Corinthians 9, he is not saying that it's wrong for others to receive. He say they have the authority, they should be supplied, but I have not received, do know I want it. This is what God has called me to be. You understand? So he doesn't put himself as a standard. He says, this is what God has called me to do. And this is important. We always want to lay our standard on somebody else. When the scriptures are very clear that it's not for everybody. So we have to be careful. We're not the Holy Spirit. We have to judge those things by the scripture. Paul believed and handed down the teachings of Jesus for financial support. But did not exercise the right for himself. Listen to some of the words. Jesus declared the labor is worthy of his wages for the gospel. In Matthew 10.10 and Luke 10.7. Paul declared to the Corinthians, again, the Lord's command in 1 Corinthians 9, 14. Listen, even so the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. He just didn't exercise it himself. Paul's entire argument in that ninth chapter of 1 Corinthians is that he has the right, not only scripturally, but rationally and logically, but he refused to exercise that right for the sake of the gospel. He makes this very, very clear. Paul joins the Old Testament passage with the Lord's command as one and the same authority. Listen to 1 Timothy five seventeen and 18. Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture says, talking about the Old Testament, no New Testament he's writing this. The scriptures, he's talking about the Old Testament. Already the letters he has written, but the New Testament has not been put together yet. You shall not muzzle the ox while it treads out the grain. And the labor is worthy of his wages. So he joins the words of Jesus in Matthew and Luke to Deuteronomy 25.4. And he says the scriptures one. Now notice, still in verse 9, the apostle Paul declared, They worked in order to set an example of servants of Christ. But to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. Paul stated they were giving them a visible example for the Thessalonians. They were servants of the people following the model of Jesus. Jesus said, I am among you as one who serves in Luke twenty-two, twenty-seven. There are always those who deceptively merchandise the people of God, just like the Jewish hucksters at Corinth in Second Corinthians two seventeen. Who are making gain of the gospel. They're in every generation. Every year. Every country. They're always around. The word example there. Tuples. Means a mark left for a blow. An impression. Like a die. You hit it with a, a metal die. And you hit it in a leather work. And you leave the impression. That's the word here. It's used for the nail prints of Jesus on his hands. From the nails in John twenty twenty five. It is used for the visible pattern and model of a pastor in 1 Peter 5, 3. 
Paul stated their example was to be followed by the Thessalonians for the sake of others. Paul, Silas, Timothy did it for the sake of the Thessalonians. The Thessalonians were to do it because they were following Christ. And as they had done it for, the, for their sake, they were to do it for the sake of others. And that's how Christianity works. Each Christian has that responsibility to the person behind them. The word how refers to the quality of service described from verse 8 to the beginning of 9. The word appears at the beginning and now at the end. 7a and then 7 and 9b. Paul didn't want to be dependent on any man but God only, nor be accused of merchandising God's people. Speaking to the Ephesians elders, he said, I have coveted no man's silver, gold, or apparel. Acts 20, verse 33 through 35. Wow. There's a book called the Didache, the word where we get our word teaching from. The teaching of the apostles of the second century. And it was written to refute false prophets and teachers. Here's some of the requirements. It declared that he could abide, a person could abide for only one day, and if there was a need to, but three days made him a false prophet. Chapter 11, verse 16 and 17. <laughs> if he asked for money, he was a false prophet. 11.9. Wow. What does that say to those people on the radio and television? Wow. Anyone ordering a meal by the Spirit of God, thus saith the Lord, make a big meal. Everybody could partake except him. Chapter 11, verse 14 and 15. But if he wish to settle with you, being a craftsman, let him work for and eat his bread. Chapter 5. Verse 2, verse 5, 12, 5. But if he has no craft, according to your wisdom, provide how he shall live as a Christian among you, but not in idleness. 12, 6. If he will not do this, he is a traffic, he's trafficking upon Christ. 12, 7. Beware of such men. 12, 8. Pretty clear to me. If we apply the Dedeki, the second century writing of the apostles, many ministers and churches would be guilty of these things. One of the biggest stumbling blocks of the ministry is the constant begging for money. We've all heard it. The unbeliever cannot understand why a person would want to give his or her money to God. They think we're crazy. But that's because they're not born again. And we don't expect them to understand. It's okay. But they, the, what they constantly hear over Christian radio and Christian TV, they hear it loud and clear. Look at Hollywood pictures that mocks Christianity. They got all kinds of material, good material to make, to put it together. They mock the evangelists. 
Do you drink? Do you smoke? Wow! How do you, come on, demon! They mock him. Because people are like, weird. That's not the way you do things in the Lord. But these people that are charlatans, they manipulate people. God help them. The unbeliever is constantly hearing this. Begging. They also hear the pressure of that plea. They hear when they go to churches where maybe 20, 30 minutes, 15 minutes on the, on the giving and the stories and the pressure and the needs. And then they give them a 10 minute sermonette for Christianettes. Without scripture. Amazing. Our philosophy is what God guides, He provides. Paul says, take up an offering once a week on Sunday. 1 Corinthians 16.2. That's what we do. And I've done that for 32 years. We don't take another offering Sunday night. We don't take another offering on Thursday. We rarely, maybe I can count on this hand, that we've taken special offerings for earthquake or different things. Storm Sandy in the East. You gave $10,000 for that work. To help the people over there. We didn't take no special offering from you, did we? But Calvary Child Pasadena helped over there. God takes care of it, right? Hmm. Matthew 6, 6. Listen to the words of Jesus. But you... When you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in secret, in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. We never tell you guys of what it takes to run this ministry. We never tell you anything. We just teach you the Word of God. We pray during the week, and we let God take care of what He wants. He has never failed us in 32 years. Why would I want to change now? <laughs> Why would I want to be so stupid? Well, what is it that I feel God has ripped me off from? Do I believe I deserve more? I don't deserve what I have. Wow. Philippians 4.19 says, And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Faithful he is. The Christian work ethic for slaves was very clear in Scripture, which sometimes people don't understand. Listen to Colossians 4, 22 and 25. Bond servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. These slaves were mistreated. Paul says, you serve that master like you're serving Christ. Now we put this in application to employers or employees. Make sure you're not just watching the clock. Make sure you're not just working hard when you see the boss walk by. You're Christian. You should be the best worker of where you work. 
People should be in all the way you work. You punch in on time. You don't take long breaks. You don't call in sick when you're not sick. You don't steal pencils. Ephesians 6, 5 through 8 says, Bondservants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to Christ. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servers of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart with good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever, whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whatever he is, uh, whether he's slave or free. A little different, but about the same line. These were heathen masters. Many of these slaves had come, become born again. This is a Roman Empire. Are you going to complain to me that your boss is worse than one of those masters? Hey, I worked in the world. <laughs> hmm. The Christian work ethic is the highest. Doing it is unto the Lord. Being thankful that God has provided work to meet my needs. Proverbs 18.9 says, He who is slothful in his work is a brother to him who is of greater, a great destroyer. Proverbs 22.29, Do you see a man who excels in his work? He will stand before kings. He will, he will, he will not stand before an, uh, unknown men. Proverbs 24.27, Prepare your outside work. Make it fit for yourself in the field. And afterwards, build your house. Priorities. Work hard. First Timothy 5.8 If anyone does not provide for his own house, especially those of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than a non-believer. It's not talking about someone who's disabled. It's not talking about somebody who's got hurt. It's talking about people who will not work because they're lazy. That's what he's talking about. The particulars to be noted regards regarded the work ethic to be emulated by the people. Notice third and last in verse 10. The principle to be lived out. The Apostle Paul declared the teaching and the practice must be one. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this. Paul and his companions lived out the principle before they taught it. Very wise. Don't teach what you're not living. The time was when they had first come to Thessalonica. They came ready to preach the gospel. They came ready to receive the people who repented, not the finances. They came to be an example of the gospel. The circumstance had not been... Very good, as you know. They were persecuted. Falsely accused. In fact, they had to flee. Under that persecution, they were concerned about them. In First Thessalonians 2.9, he says, For you remember, brethren, we labor and toil, laboring night and day, that we might not be burdened to you. We preach to you the gospel of God. And then in the next chapter, he tells them how they were concerned that they had left. They didn't know what happened. So he sent back um, uh, Titus to find out what was going on, if they were okay. And then they came back and said, yeah, they're okay. Timothy met them, I mean. And he said, they're okay. And they're excited. 
Paul and his companions taught the principle affirmed, affirmed it by their practice and confirming their authority for the command. The authority comes from being a doer. If you're not a doer, you destroy your authority. Notice the instructions and teaching was not withheld or watered down to win them over to Christ. The word commanded there means to transmit a message or order. It's a military word. Therefore, Paul is giving a scriptural command to be obeyed. And who's our commanding general? Jesus. This is God's word. Full authority here. The indicative perfect or imperfect active here means repeatedly. He didn't tell him this just once. He told him constantly, many, many times. The word command appears four times, as we've pointed out. Four, six, ten, and twelve. These things that he command, he knew they were going to obey. The problem of refusing to work was already present, as we noted in the beginning. First Thessalonians 4, 11. But perhaps thinking that the day of the Lord had already arrived increased it. Which is always a bad mistake when people get all caught up on what's going on in the world. And they think and they're sure Jesus is around the corner and they quit work. What? You're going to sell your house, get a lunch bag, and wait at the top of the highest mountain? You're not a Christian, you're weird. <laughs> How many people have gone down that road? You remember Y2K? And some prominent Bible teachers were pushing it too. Chuck Missler. Amazing. How off the wall can you be? Amazing. The instruction and teaching they gave was for everyone without exception. The standard applies to Paul and his companions. The standard about to be declared would apply to every believer in Christ. First Thessalonians 4, 11 and 12. Listen. That you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside the unbeliever and that you may lack nothing. That's what he told him in the first letter. And he had told him that before he wrote the first letter when they were there. Now look at 10 still. The Apostle Paul declared the person who refuses to work should not be fed. Some Christians go, oh, oh, that's, that's unloving. That's uncompassionate. Shut up. Listen to what he's going to say. If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. That's not a maybe, baby. That's a yes. Paul stated... That work is part of God's creative order. Before the fall, Adam was to cultivate and keep the garden in Genesis 2.15. Work is good. After the fall, Adam was to work for his bread by the sweat of his brow. Genesis 3.19. Now it's just a little harder. As we noted, Paul commanded servants who are Christians to be the best workers as unto the Lord in Ephesians and Colossians. That we pointed out. 
Rabbis used to say, quote, He who doesn't teach his son a trade teaches him to steal. The biggest waste of time and loss of opportunity and energy is high school. Kids should be put from junior high school into trade schools. That will teach them their core classes of English and geography, all that, but a trade. So when you get out of high school four years, you have a trade, four years of electrician or craftsman or framing or anything, and you have your core classes of education if you want to go to college if you want. But you have a trade while you're going to school. It's simple. So we let kids get polluted and corrupted. Now you have to go back to sixth grade because we're so corrupted. Jesus worked as a carpenter for the first 30 years of his life. He said, well, I'm just kicking it because my father's got a ministry for me when I turn 30. Wow. Paul stated this principle for the person who is able to work and refuses to work or refuses to look for work. That's what he's talking about. He excludes several people, those disabled, temporary or permanent. That's common sense. Those who are unemployed but attempting to find work, you don't punish them. They're lucky. Those who are working but need some help, there's some of those sometimes, right? He will deal with some of these in the next section in verse 11 through 13. We'll get to those there. The tense makes this clear. Listen. The phrase will not work is the indicative present active. A continuous attitude and stance while being able to work. Literally, wish not to work. You're young. You're strong. You're able and you say, homie, don't play that game. I'm not working. Oh, really? Well, you're not eating. Simple. There's no argument. This is an imperative command, not a suggestion. Let him not eat. The person refusing to work should not be fed by the Christian community. This command was to be carried out in the love of God, in the patience of Christ. Look at verse 5. 4 and 5 is the command on how to carry these things out. Wow. The person refuses to work and demands food or help is taking advantage of the Christian community or the individual Christian. The church or Christian community that gives food or help to one refusing to work will only lead to a person's feeling more entitled and become bolder in his demand towards his needs. Simple. No greater example do we have today than the policies of President Obama and the Democrats who have enlarged the entitlement program for those who are able to work. I am not speaking against those who cannot work, those who need help, but it's gone far beyond that. And so people become entitled, arrogant, 
demanding because they believe the philosophy of spreading the wealth. Jesus doesn't believe in spreading the wealth. Jesus believed that you're to be benevolent and help people, but not that people can take your stuff. There's a big difference. If Barack Obama's a Christian, then I'm also black. Absolutely not. I'm close, I'm brown. I'm Mexican. But I'm not black. He's not a Christian. Listen to the Proverbs. The Proverbs have much to say about the slothfulness and lazy person. Proverbs twelve twenty four: The hand of the diligent will rule, but the lazy man will be put to forced labor. Proverbs thirteen four: The soul of a lazy man desires and has nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made rich. Proverbs fifteen nineteen: The way of the lazy man is like a hedge of thorns, but the way of the upright is a highway. Proverbs 20, verse 4. The lazy man will not plow because of winter. He will beg during the harvest and have nothing. Proverbs 21, 25. The desire of the lazy man kills him, for his hand refused to labor. Proverbs 22, 13. The lazy man says, there is a lion outside. I shall be slain in the streets. Proverbs 24, 30. I went by the way... The field of the lazy man and by the vineyard of the man devoid of understanding. It's all hedged up with thorns and everything. 26.14. I like this one. Listen. As the door turns on its hinges, so does the lazy man on his bed. Solomon despised lazy people. And so should you as a Christian. The Bible has equally much to say about hardworking people. Listen. Psalm 128.2 says, When you eat the labor of your hand, you shall be happy and it shall be well with you. Proverbs 10.4 He who has a slack hand becomes poor, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. 21.5 Proverbs The plans of the diligent lead surely to plenty, but those of everyone who is lazy, surely to poverty. Proverbs 6, 6 through 11 says, Go to the ant, you slugger, consider her ways and be wise, which having no captain, overseer, ruler, provides her, and so her supplies in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. How long will you slumber, O slugger? When will you rise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall your poverty come on you like a prowler and your need like an armed man. If you've lived long enough, you've lived to see all these proverbs be true. Any Christian refusing to work because they believe the Lord is coming and His coming is near is unbiblical. The believer is to be an example in how they live until the Lord comes.
the believers to be an example in how they work until the Lord comes. Listen to the words of Jesus in Luke 19, 11 through 13. Now as they heard these things, he spoke another parable because he was near to Jerusalem, listen to the context, and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. Therefore he said, a certain nobleman went out into far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he called ten of his servants, delivered to them the ten minas, and said to them, Do business till I come. For any Christian to ever quit work or quit being a good witness to the world until the Lord returns is unbiblical. And he should not receive help. He should not eat. Pretty heavy words. You understand the context? Very important. The principle to be lived out regarding withholding food from lazy, entitled people. How it describes our day to day. This is the apostolic example regarding the work ethic. The pattern to be followed regarded obedience of the word witnessed by the people. The particulars to be noted regarded the work ethic to be emulated by the people. And the principle to be lived out regarded withholding food from lazy entitled people. <laughs> These principles are still good today. God hasn't changed. Neither have people. You should be the best worker wherever you go. Hard. Generous. Benevolent. But a good worker. Lord, thank you for your grace and love. Thank you for your goodness. We pray, Lord, that you give us wisdom as we live for you. And we live before men. As you're praying, if you're here tonight. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then um, God has brought you here to be saved. Well, you've heard probably it sounds kind of weird, extreme, uncompassionate. That's why you need to be born again. And if you believe Jesus is God who became man, died for your sins, then you see yourself as a sinner is by the grace of God. Jesus says that the wrath of God is upon you. But if you believe that he died in your place and that he is the justification for your faith and sins, then you can ask him to forgive you. It's called grace through faith. And he will forgive you for all your sins and make a new creature of you. Maybe you're over the internet. This can be your prayer. Right where you sit, you can say this prayer. And if you mean it, God will save you. And you won't be the same. You can repeat after me. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.